It's 174 days until Election Day. Today, Robin interviews by activists Nicole Crystal and Ashley Shine, and we head back to the Blanket Fort to talk about what we're cooking and eating during COVID. All this and more on The Let's Game. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and we have three random facts and the news. Our first random fact of the day is we just want to wish a happy birthday to Stephen Colbert, Stevie Wonder, who's turning 70, and also to Darius Rucker of Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> and it was my birthday last week. And uh, fact number two is that it was snowing here in May. And somehow I missed the snow. I was mowing my lawn. So I don't think it was snowing around my house. It but, snowed for, for like five minutes with the sun shining at my house. Oh, uh, okay. But anyway, the random fact is that the last time it snowed in May was in 1995. In New York. In, in this New York area. <laughs> yeah, that's 25 years ago. It's a long time. And random fact number three is very random. And I apologize in advance because I do not speak Basque. I'm going to make an attempt. <laughs> Goshwa which means sweet in Basque, is a dessert from the Basque country consisting of a base of whipped cream, one layer of sponge cake, and a layer of caramelized custard. And in the northern part of the Basque country, it is usually filled with jam. Mm, that sounds good. That sounds yeah. like something fun to try to make. Yeah. really good. And, and there was Yeah. And there's <laughs> another fact in there that Wendy says caramelized. <laughs> yeah. Is that like not that. right? I don't know. I don't. I, I there are two different ways to pronounce that, that word. word. It's it's pronounced differently in America than in England. Oh, oh, okay. maybe yeah. I don't even know the English. It I could say be caramelized. I say caramelized. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Or I like... caramelized is the British way. Oh. Is it? Yes. <laughs> Very interesting. I like it's, that. And I say I say herbs instead of herb. That's another thing. I, I know. I on... like I pick up a lot. I have a lot of British pronunciation. I don't know where yeah. I get that from. I grew up. I was born in Brooklyn. We lived in Queens till I was five, and then I lived in Northern Virginia. I think Virginia. your mother, with all her research, probably maybe <laughs> she was. I don't know. Because it's just that I went down a rabbit hole uh, on YouTube watching all kinds of strange things, and there was a British guy. I can't remember his name. That he has a YouTube called. Uh, memos lost in the pond oh i love that i love lost in the pond okay (laughs) so it was like what the difference between what are things pronounced in england and here or okay customs and culture yeah i follow him he's pretty funny (laughs) so you know who i'm talking about yep and now here's all the news that we can handle I did an interview this week with Nicole Crystal and Ashley Shine, and they are 
activists and really like all around creatives. They do a lot of things. They're in uh, Los Angeles. And we talked about a controversy in the bi community, which has been interesting <laughs> that you'll hear about. We also talked about challenges in the progressive communities more broadly. And it was an interesting conversation. It was really good. It was great to talk with both of them. It took some surprising turns for me. Like we discussed racism and cancel culture and age versus a person's age versus their influence in activist communities. It was really a lot. And I had threads that I think I wanted to pursue that we didn't talk about. And and they brought in a lot of things that I didn't expect. So it, it's interesting. And I think it's going to spark more conversations in the future. So definitely stay tuned for that that conversation. And here's some really good news, actually. We got a really nice tweet about us Sunday. We're recording on Monday, so it was yesterday. At Larker Anthology said, Dear hashtag bisexuals, how are you connecting with your goals today or this week? Get inspired by listening to the Bi Plus produced Leftscape podcast, an oasis of clarity, purpose, and insight that I'm finding very grounding these days. Um, So that was tweeted as a self-care Sunday comment and I just wanted to say thank you so much to Larker Anthology that was really cool to hear that and we're glad that we're doing something right yeah thank and you. social media mat- matters so like I, I we really appreciate anyone who reaches you know shouts out about it thank you thank you thank you <laughs> there was a very good article that was floating around on the Erin Bromage webpage about how and where covid infections happen and it was a, a very succinct compendium of a lot of facts that have been floating around. One of it was the graph that you may have seen showing that cases are decreasing is really, it only looks like it's decreasing because New York is, (laughs) New York has, has so many cases in the state of New York that it is affecting the rest of the country as far as statistics go. So like if you take New York out of that picture, we are not decreasing in number of cases, uh, daily number of cases. For everybody outside of the New York metro area, the curve is not decreasing yet. Yeah. And plus the thing too was that a week ago, it was the goal was to flatten the curve. And then when they it looked like they had flattened the curve, everybody got all excited. Yet it's still the curve going down. It's still people are dying. Yes. They may not be dying at the rate they were last week, but they're still dying. And that's not good. We're over 70,000 dead. Yeah. Right. At this point. So they're thinking another 50,000. No, I don't know. I think that's what it said in that article. Oh, Okay. I've seen estimates that are even higher than that. Well, it kind of also was saying like if everything just starts opening right back up and we go back to quote unquote normal, like all bets are off. Basically, we don't we can't really know what's going to happen because it's so it's it that's not the model. Like the model is to keep doing this and really flatten it, not just, oh, it's starting to look flat. Let's go do everything again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not, not how that that's works. Not, that's yeah, that's not. First, she she gives her background, which she's. Uh, I believe it's a he, but he. Anyway, okay. I'm sorry. Gender I you know, they thing, oh, whatever. I'll, yeah, <laughs> I should just default to they all the time. <laughs> so I don't want to misgender anybody. The name Aaron throws you. I know. Yeah. 
anyway, anyway, there's a section about how much the how much virus is released into the environment in different areas like bathrooms and reading this, I'm not going into a public bathroom probably yeah. for a year and how much stuff gets released if you cough or sneeze or breathing. And um, how many particulates you have to take in in order to get yes. the virus. Yes. The important thing is a successful infection, which you do not want, is based on exposure to the virus over time. So it's like the longer you are in an infectious environment, or the higher the chances you're going to catch something. And this is like, as opposed to, you know, walking past somebody who's jogging or, or in a store, if you're walking past somebody, you're not there very long. If you're shopping, you're not there very long. If you're an employee there, you're kind of screwed because you're stuck in there all day. And that also highlights the risk to our, you know, to who we're calling essential employees. They face a great risk of exposure every day that they're at work, which is why the best practice is to have the patrons wear masks and why the stores should be allowed to not let you in if you're not going to wear a mask. Right? Yeah, they want to protect their own employees. Yeah. Well, they should be protecting their own employees. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Yeah, and some of this really brought home to me that, you know, the, the idea of, you know, the amount of virus matters and, and time is a factor too. So if, you know, obviously if someone sneezes in your face, you could get <laughs> infected. Hopefully that won't happen. Or if you're in a place, an enclosed place for long enough, even if the, the amount of virus is pretty dilute in that environment. So, you know, it made me think about things as things start to open up, but we are having some outdoor things opening in uh, New Jersey now, parks and whatnot, which I was going to talk about in a minute. But, you know, sitting in a restaurant or definitely going to the, the gym, even with my gym opens, I'm not sure when that will be, but I think that might be a place I won't go for a good yeah. long time because that's where people are, you know, sweating and coughing and, you know, being... Touching things. Touching things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, particles uh, would be... Uh, plentiful in that space and and it's enclosed. And so there are a lot of things that I might really want to do later this summer that I'm going to think twice about whether they happen or not. So that's kind of a kind of a bummer, but it's good to really think about how, you know, what's likely in terms of infection and how, how to be safe. So this is definitely a good article to, to read and yes, reread and take in. We'll have yes. a link on our website. Yes, yes absolutely. So you were going to talk now about our governor opening up the state parks. I thought he did that last weekend. Last weekend, yes. Uh, county and the state parks opened up. And I find that for me, that was actually a good mental and physical health thing. I like to just something I, I can walk around my property, but there's something about being on a trail or track where I can be out in the world and get mm. enough movement in and that sort of thing. So did I really Yes, I have. And, you know, with the mask, obviously. And it feels okay because I can mostly avoid encountering anybody at all where well, I've good. gone. And, you know, on one occasion, I drove up to one park and it just looked like it looked like a little too many people who may not be paying attention. And I I'm, didn't choose to go out at that moment. So that's what that's been for me so far. I don't know what your feelings are about going out in the outdoors, but I feel generally safer in that environment yeah. right now. Well, 
I think outdoors is a safer environment in general, but mm -hmm. you still have to practice social distancing. I know they've encountered from the from the Wisconsin protests. Oh yeah. There were 79 people who have come down with COVID from that. Oh from my that, god, they uh, know already, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that was like the two, the one from like two weeks ago, mm -hmm. not like the more recent ones. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's so, just so great because they went home and spread it to their local communities. And that makes, it's very, that upsets me when yeah. people do things like that. There was yeah, something that is, I was watching on TV where they were talking about the, the meat packing plants and that they were tracking people on their cell phones. And they showed a map of the state and they could tell like these little blue dots of where people who were in the meat packing plant, where they went all over the state and it's all into over the country. other states. It was mm -hmm. all over the country. And then I, yeah. and then I, I, when I was looking at that, I was thinking about it. It has to also cover the truckers that are driving the meat. Yeah. It has to, because I, I cannot imagine somebody who's got their day job in the slaughterhouse and there's and they're working there, they would go to Los Angeles. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah. So whatever. the truckers are make sense. doing it. So yeah. So and, and, but they're at the plant and they may be getting infected too and taking it with them on on their routes. The meatpacking industry is it's terrifying right now. I was wondering why Again, specifically meatpacking. Is that the only industry where people are close together? Or It's an essential industry. The consensus in the country is like, yeah, it's okay as long as we get our meat. Uh, and what is it? Was it not only the, the meat packers are getting sick, it's the, the USDA inspectors. The meat inspectors are also getting sick. Hmm. So I think that article did mention that as a prime place of infection too so we can read up on why they say yeah. that is too yeah uh, here's something that's not has it's not horrific at all uh well, vote by mail oh that too but can <laughs> i say one mail. more thing about okay, yes, about parks <laughs> i just wanted to say the other thing i wanted to say about parks reopening near us in new jersey is that uh gateway National Park opened Sandy Hook um, area in particular. That started with restrictions on May 9th. And some of the parking lots are open, but they'll be 50% capacity. And you can do trails and you can you can walk along the ocean or the bayside or whatever. And they're allowing like running, hiking, fishing, and kayaking, but prohibiting swimming and picnicking and gathering in groups. So it's sort of a... Uh, not swimming, huh? You can't go in the ocean? You can't go in the ocean. I think they're, tr I don't know. I guess they don't want people there for long periods of time and getting together and sitting uh, on blankets all together. So yeah. Okay. So if you can kind of pass by and. So you're, you're allowed there if you're doing things that involve movement. That's what it seems like. Now, I don't know if you can lay out if you're one person. It's a little early in the season for that anyway, but. Well, especially now with yeah. the weather the way it is. <laughs> but, you know, I know Gunnison diehards, they'll be there <laughs> if they can. Well, I mean, but it, at least it's, 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 you know, they're not allowed. They're allowing only half the number of people in most of the areas. So that's that's a good sign. But isn't Gunnison a federal beach? Yes, that's why it's different. Than... Yeah. So so they closed. That's closed, too, or not? It was. Everything was closed. And now it's. Oh, because I didn't think the federal government shut anything down. That, they, yeah, there were some areas that 
they did apparently. So that's oh, okay. One that's why it's, huh. it's sort of on a different pattern than the others. So I guess, you know, wherever you are, you can look at your national or regional parks and they will let you know what's happening with that. I think that's a common thing that quite a few are starting to be available. All right. So vote by mail. It's already a thing in New Jersey. It's New Jersey has a, a vote by mail thing that's not a, an absentee ballot or any of that. We have like just vote by mail. And the ACLU has a very nice webpage that has information about every state and their and how to vote by mail in every state and about all of the primaries that are happening all over the country. But for New Jersey, we have a primary, a state primary and presidential primary date that has been rescheduled to July 7th. And everyone can vote absentee and you apply by mail and the application request deadline has to, the application has to be received by June 30th. So you have almost two months to get your act together about this, to vote in the primary and the mailed ballots must be postmarked by July 7th and received by the County Board of Elections within 48 hours of the polls closing. Well, so, I would say less than two months considering yeah, when this less. Yes, podcast is a month and out. a half month and a half you have time to get this together and it's on and once you're registered to vote by mail you can vote by mail in the general election in november i don't believe you have to do it every single time i was um, going to ask that like if you register to vote by mail do you then have to vote by mail or see that's a question you, yeah. i don't know and i think and if it's an absentee ballot and not a vote by mail ballot it's different. I think for absentee, you have to do it each time because those are usually for, oh, I'm not going to be here on election day. Let me vote early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every state is different. So check the link on our website and, and figure that all out. It's the ACLU link? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the ACLU. They, they have this all posted because, okay. you know, we all need, you know, if we all vote, we can get these guys out of there. And without resorting to, you know, torches and pitchforks and (laughs) and everything else. Right. Last thing I wanted to mention is like, it's good news, but it's about a terrible bad news subject. The father and son duo were arrested on May 7th and they faced charges on the murder and aggravated assault for the killing of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. It's been a weird thing. I think this happened in April yeah, mid April, and they they went through like three different prosecutors, and people were recusing themselves, and and these guys didn't get arrested until uh, just a few days ago. So better late than never, but it shouldn't have been like that. Yeah, yeah. So progress in major quotes. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's all the news I can handle anyway. This podcast is sponsored by wearing pants during video conferences. You tell yourself you won't stand up. You promise yourself you won't stand up. Then you forget and you stand up. Next time, try wearing pants during video conferences. On sale now wherever webcams are sold. And now back to our podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Reed Mahalko of ReadAboutSex.com. And you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hello, 
We want to thank you so much for listening to The Leftscape and for being someone out in the world thinking about, talking about, and crafting the shape of progressive conversation. We love creating this show for you, and we hope you find value in the discussions we bring to the table. If you do, please take a moment right now, go to your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. If you can, make it five stars. Good reviews really help us reach more people engaged in politics and culture like you. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out about the leftscape. Well, I am very happy to be here with uh, Nicole Crystal and Ashley Shine, both in Los Angeles. Uh, Nicole Crystal is an activist and author and the creator of Still Bisexual, which she created in 2015 after growing frustrated with the lack of social acceptance for bisexuals despite the wider gains for gays and lesbians in the community, in the wider community. And uh, also Ashley Shine, who is an American actress, improviser, writer, filmmaker, and activist. And she is the creator of Rainbow Bright Comedy, which is an LGBTQ plus improv troupe which focuses on giving queer people of color a platform. So welcome. It's really great to talk to you both. Thanks. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so well, so first of all, how, how are you doing? I kind of want to check in with everybody in these weird times. Uh, you know, every day is different. Someone gave me really good advice, which is don't expect the days to continue off of one another like in a normal existence. Just take every day separately. And that's helped me a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> last night, I couldn't get to sleep until five in the morning. So today's been taking a lot of naps. And I've accepted that, you know, and it's not the most productive day. But sometimes, you know, it's just it happens. And it's not normal right now when you have to just go with it. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Ashley? <laughs> um, today's been okay. Um, I have been trying to stay off of um, social media as much as possible because, you know, it, it's been a hard, <laughs> well. It, it's been a hard. It's been a hard week for the black community, and um, it was just a lot to process. I was just thinking during this time, I probably wouldn't see a lot of. I don't know. I, I was just thinking I wouldn't see a lot of brutality, mm. and yet it, it just. Uh, I don't know what else to say about that except for it's just unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, weird, weird times we are in. And that's, I mean, that's nothing new, but it, it's still, it's hard to process. Very hard. Absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> this is a very bad segue, but speaking of hard to process. <laughs> that's not um, such a bad <laughs> If you're going where I think you're going, that's not so bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. So the reason I was thinking of talking to you both is that there's an organization called Binet USA, which is a very, very long respected group that I've, you know, worked with years ago in, in different capacities, organizing, you know, co-organizing conferences and things like that, that a lot of people have cared a lot about. And at the end of April, there was a tweet, I think it came out as a tweet initially that basically said, we own the patent or copyright to the Bi Pride yeah. flag and 
they began uh, asking people to pay them if they were going to use the flag, which was absurd, I guess you could mm. say in a word, yeah. and had a very swift social media negative response. And, and yeah. uh, it was just very shocking and weird. And uh, I love the community has been trying to figure out how to respond to this kind of very odd turn I guess you could say yeah that's I think you just summed it up incredibly the funny thing was is Faith Cheltenham the president of Binet USA had been shooting tweets of people for quite a few months about that before it was noticed and it kind of blew up she was tweeting at Target and then I think people didn't blow up until she started tweeting at individual activists who had kind of their grassroots buy flag businesses or, or other products, T-shirts, whatever. She went after J.B. Shea, who it, I don't know if that's their real name, but but yeah, she she went after them. And, and then everyone was like, wait a second, this is a grassroots movement. Uh, nobody owns a flag and that's an overstep. And it's, you know, greedy at a time. You know, you do this during COVID-19. What are you thinking? Why are you doing this to our community? This is, and for me, it was personally upsetting because I remember I've been a bi activist since 1997. And I remember dreaming of the day where someone knew what the bi flag meant, like they knew what the rainbow flag meant. And we finally have gotten there and we've got you know, celebrities dancing with it on stage at concerts. And I'm like, all right, this is visible <laughs> progress we've made where people are using our symbol and, and, you know, embracing it. This is wonderful. And to try to shut that down and say one organization owns a flag and kind of owns the movement is just damaging. Right. And my feeling was I also have been, um, you know, by activist forever, basically. Yes, you have. That's how I've known you on and off for 20 years, I'd say. Yes. yes. And, you know, I, I knew the Michael Page, who was the Me designer too. of the flag or one of the, you know, one of the people who brought it forth. And it definitely had no, there was no ownership. Oh, no, I, no. That was very clear to me. Yeah. And that was the part that was hard for us to believe was when she, when Faith claimed that, I should say they, Faith uses they pronouns, um, they claimed that Michael had given them permission to do this. And yet no one's been able to find Michael throughout this whole debacle. No one's been able to track Michael down. And many believe that Michael was a pseudonym, actually. That wasn't his real name. That was his bi-activist name, and he ha it wasn't his real name. So that's part mm -hmm. of why it's been hard to track him down. But also, he has left bi-activism. He doesn't want to probably, wherever he is, get dragged back into this. And we don't really need him to say that the flag belongs to everyone. And we have other people in the movement at that time who worked with him to develop it who can, who can say that. You know, mm -hmm. people like Wendy Curry. Uh, who helped create Celebrate Bisexuality Day and folks like that who were really there in the in the beginning. So, yeah, that's our right, Bi Pride right. Day. Yeah. Yes, September twenty third. It's a great. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> yes, create something. So, I guess my larger question is that when I was thinking about this, and it was just, it really was, it just did kind of blow up in a weird way, and. A lot of people were talking about this stuff. And one of the things that I have experienced at different times in activism is that there can become a, a person or maybe even an idea, but many times, you know, an individual who really takes things that either they are a very extreme personality yes. or they 
take a very particular stance that may or not really be helpful. Yes. And that sort of becomes the thing that, like, it's like a runaway train or something. Like, we're really not, it doesn't get controlled or debated or, I don't know, it becomes a problem. And I'm wondering if you've experienced that, either either of you, what you might have to <laughs> say about laughing. that kind of pattern. I think she might Ashley's have something to say. What do you get? <laughs> Go for it. First of all, I just want to thank all the activists everywhere that are bringing awareness to a lot of different issues. <laughs> but on the other side of that, I feel like there should be more conversation. Like, even though this was terrible, what happened, and my wife was explaining to me that it also happened with the LGBT flag. <laughs> Many years ago. Yeah, many years ago, I went to court and all this stuff. And so I'm glad that the community is finally having a conversation because when I was a part, uh, being a part of HRC and being a part of By Pride in West Hollywood, I was excited to kind of do a By Pride because I was telling HRC, you know, there is a lack of representation when it comes to bisexuals. And I don't understand why we're not recognized as much. And they were just like, all right, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. And let's get you involved with people that also want to bring a pride together. And I was extremely excited. But with that said, when you have so many people coming from different ethnic backgrounds and groups, not everybody has that experience of knowing how to talk to people, thinking that they're superior than everybody else. It's very frustrating. I I learned very early on in college how to kind of handle myself in these situations. But I feel like when it comes to activists, sometimes we want to be right. And sometimes I think that we need to take the time to hear um, from other people and their experiences and learn to work together. Because for me personally, and I'm only going to speak for myself, it it feels like sometimes it's just kind of like, PLC and then everybody else. And I hate that it's that division, but it feels like that at times, if that makes sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you feel like it's ethnic and cultural differences that create a lot of the friction? Well, like right now, everyone, experiences. everyone wants to... Everyone wants to be careful and make sure they're not racist or sexist or a lot of different things. But also I realized that a lot of people haven't dealt with someone that is a person of color, like their core group, the people that they hang out with. Um, Just even settling on a DJ for an event can just be a whole thing and it doesn't have to be. But I feel like when someone says we're inclusive, like, what does that honestly mean for the activists? Hmm. Okay. 
Right. So, yeah, so that is one of the, I guess it's one of the branches of concern that we have. And that seems like you're talking about, you could have everyone on the level and balanced and wanting to, ready to discuss, but maybe not having the skills. Not having the skills to, A, put away their pride and hear one another. And I feel as though I, I don't walk in a person who identifies as trans. I don't know what that experience is like, but I'm here to listen and to learn and to receive information. But I think that most people are too prideful to even be open to hearing what the needs are in, within the community because we're so... I feel like we're so into I'm bi and I and it needs to be accepted and all of this stuff, but we have our own. It, it's clear to me that we have our own issues within the community. That now that all this has blown up in Twitter last week, we can finally sit down and have a discussion on how can we build a stronger network within the bi community, and what does bi visibility and bi pride really mean? I think it goes beyond just a flag. I think that the flag is for every single one of us. Um, And I'm heartbroken that someone came in and thought that it was okay to take that right away. But now that we know that that's not a possibility, where do we go from here building up the community? I'm all about solutions hearing people, really fleshing things out so that we can be strong together. Mm-hmm. That is actually one of the things that I thought was a positive out of all of this too, that it got a lot of people talking. Yes. And, you know, it was, I, I don't know that it was intended to bring by unity, but it definitely did, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of a lot of pride and there's a big division in the bi community. The, predominantly the elder bi's are, are old white people, you know, and we're still struggling in that space to use language that doesn't upset people. And I'm dealing with that right now. I'm running a bi plus leaders group to try to heal from all this flag stuff. And we've got people on all sides feeling like it's not a safe space. And so that's why I couldn't sleep last night. I'm like, how can I make this a safe space? How does this not blow up just like everything else has, you know? And I think part of why this happened with the bi flag is because in the activist communities, and I think what you're hinting at with your initial question is there's a lot of glory seeking. And the longer you're in the activism, some people, they feel like they've done this work for free for so long and they're owed more credit. They have really sacrificed. They have really given things up to, to do this and, and they start to get ownership over it. I can think of several activists here in LA who've been around for 20 plus years who really feel like, well, wait, how's my name not on that? How am I not involved in that? Even though they're not even technically doing the work anymore and actively creating programs and stuff, they feel this ownership, like, you know, almost like they invented the wheel in some ways of, you know, which you know isn't true. It's being bisexual, but it gets that way. And you start to feel like, how dare, you know, people start to think, how, how dare they not respect me in this space as a leader? And it's like, you've got to show up in those spaces and you've got to listen all the time. You can't disappear from those spaces and then come back and claim that ownership or, or you're going to, you know, you're going to encounter friction 
So I think that, that wasn't the situation. Right. Yeah. You're right on that because um, even even with planning an event, a by event, I didn't know a few people, and it was just like <laughs> you don't know who I am, but I'm like I I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, when they should have come to you and been like, you're volunteering your time for free. Thank you. You know, like that's how it should have been, you know, and and that's how we have to be grateful. Anyone shows up to push to try to help our community, you know, because that's what movements are made of. And bisexuals by nature are very closeted. Twenty eight percent of us are are out. That's it. Everyone else is pretty much closeted. So, you know, not a lot. Yeah. Right, right. So I guess my question is, and, and I've seen this happen in various communities, you know, it seems to be something that repeats itself in uh, back part of the polyamory community and uh, larger LGBTQ communities, some spiritual communities too, that there can be, for whatever reason, maybe it is feeling like one is owed recognition or something like that, but mm-hmm. someone who really kind of takes command mm-hmm maybe not usually for the best, I would say. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed is that we want to be so welcoming mm-hmm. of all kinds of attitudes and differences and strengths that I wonder if that is sometimes part of what helps this kind of problem grow. I mean, I want to be welcoming, but then where is the, what are the boundaries around that? And how do we talk about those things? Well, yeah, that's what we're encountering on the Bi Leaders Group now is I didn't create ground rules. In fact, I said there's no gatekeeping. If you want someone on this list, tell me their name and I will add them. And I don't want to be like this other leader who created these problems who did a lot of gatekeeping. And that kind of kept people quiet because they didn't want to be shut out of things like going to the White House or whatever it is. But now everyone's like, no, you need to create ground rules for this group. You need to, you know, have a code of how people can behave. And I'm like, I just don't want to be that cop, you know. But then I'm like, if I don't, then how do I create a space where everyone feels feels safe? And can you run a group without having to moderate it? I realize now you can't. You can't just sit on your hands. Because if I sit on my hands and people of color are saying they don't feel comfortable, that's then that's on me, you know. And so... So yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cancel culture where, you know, I feel like people are like, you don't understand my identity. Okay, well, you haven't tried hard enough. You know, this is what's wrong with you. Um, whereas maybe in, you know, Robin and I are the same age, maybe in like the late 90s, you would be like, oh, you don't understand my identity. Well, let me sit and let me explain it to you. And there's like a lot more patience for that. And I think now 20 years later, that patience is worn thin, or maybe it's a generational thing. I don't entirely know. But I do feel like like folks are just now just like, no, I'm not wasting my time doing that emotional labor to explain my identity to you. You haven't done your homework. You don't, you're not showing up and caring about me. Why should I do that work? And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's what's happening. And I think that's a, that's a valid point. So it's like, how do I resolve the situation in my BiPlus leaders group now? I don't feel like it's fair for me to go to the people of color and say, hey, you need to explain point by point why this email was problematic and upsetting. But, you know, some of them did. And and it was helpful to me to be like, okay, this is exactly what's going on. Because as a white person, you just have blind spots. You can try to be educated. You're just going to have blind spots. And it sucks. And people are ashamed of that. And, And I think that shame is when people start lashing out at folks being like, 
well, I wasn't being racist. How dare, you know, and it's, it's like, they don't, they're ashamed that they have those blind spots and, and that they missed something and that they did, they made someone feel that way. Cause deep down as activists, the last thing we want to be is racist. The last thing we want to do is make someone feel not welcome. So it's, it's a very charged issue for sure. I think mm-hmm. I can, I'm going to just speak from my experience. Yeah. I think that Nicole has been amazing not Aww, to just gas so you sweet. up, but <laughs> no, seriously, I really feel like it's the energy of the founder, the person in charge that that's running the organization. I feel like it's their energy that leads to the rest of us, if if I could say that, because I, I just feel like it's, it's a lot of energies, you know, when you get a group of people, it's a lot of energies. And when you're talking about activism, that's a lot of passion there. So having someone that's open to like listening and I, I, I feel comfortable that if Nicole made me uncomfortable that I could talk to her and be Good. like, hey, Good. that's not cool. But even a few years ago, I was when I wasn't a part of HRC, I... I heard all of these different things and one person came in, created a different type of energy and now it feels like a different organization. And when I say community and family, I, I mean, half of those people came and was a part of my web series and weren't even actors, but I needed them and they were just like, what do you need? I'll be there. <laughs> So you're talking about the human rights campaign, HRC? Yes. Um, You want to give a little synopsis about what you, I don't know, maybe how it's changed, what what it is, how it's changed. So I'm a part of the community engagement um, part of um, HRC. We help with Bi Pride, Trans Pride, Compton's First Pride, and we're even crossing people over with Stonewall. So we're really getting out the vote. They're seeing more inclusiveness because a few years ago, people thought that HRC was transphobic, which is not the case. And it is, it's a different organization right now. Our president Alfonso is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I've only met him twice, but the first time I met him, it was just, great. And then the second time I met him, he remembered my name and made me feel important. Mm. And I know several people that I've introduced myself to and live in LA that don't remember my name. And I'm like, this man is like traveling all over the world and took the time to get to know me and remember my name. This is amazing. So (laughs) (laughs) I just love the way that HRC has grown and taking something that used to seem like this mm, negative thing and turn it into something really positive with the inclusiveness. That's really great. But we had to bring in new people with new energy and new ideas. And that's why they have leadership programs that we can attend so that we don't stay in a certain position for too long. I was a part of Bi Pride for two years and I was just like, I've done my time and I'm gonna pass the baton off to someone else because someone else could 
bring in a totally different energy that I didn't have the idea or skill set to do. So I think that's a part of growing is knowing when to also move on and also how to train new leaders as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that is a great idea. And that probably is a, a big part of keeping communities healthy, just encouraging other people to step up and do more. You know, I'm definitely in a position of having been a part of, especially one polyamory group for a long time. And I want to still be part of it, but I think part of the COVID pause of life has helped me realize like I, there are, there's definitely less of that I want to be doing. And I may be that what happens after I don't, I'm not organizing as much as I have been is that, you know, maybe something that comes up after it will be something I like or something I don't, but Mm. it doesn't have to be my concern so much, you know, because polyamory Mm. will exist. Mm -hmm. People will gather and talk about things and it might not be my vision, but it's fine. (laughs) You know, it really will be okay. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's good to recognize that, I think. Mm. Yeah, that movements aren't, we aren't as integral to movements as we think and that they will live on beyond <laughs> us. That's a big thing to let your ego accept, you know, and it's important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nicole, you were talking about the the idea that some of us have had more patience or at least maybe generationally had more patience to discuss things mm-hmm. than others do currently. Is there a way to bridge that kind that gap or to, or I, I feel like there's a, there's a happy medium there somewhere. I feel like Where, there's, yeah, there yeah. is, but there's also trends and it feels like, especially post Obama and the Trump era, there's been a hardcore cancel culture backlash, especially because we've had movements like Me Too where people did need to get canceled, you know, and there have been lots of folks that have have needed to be called out for their behavior in lots of different industries. So I think it's kind of just the moment of our time in a way. And I think at some point, I don't think you have to get tired of cancel culture. I think there's certain elements of it that are valid, but I think some people seem to be tiring of it and that there might be a more healing way to deal with it. And really restorative justice is about everyone sitting down and and talking with the people who have caused them to feel pain and trying to heal things, right? Like that's the whole point of that is, is not to just be like, you hurt me, you deserve to die, this sucks or like whatever it is. So I don't know. I, it's up to the younger generation. It really isn't up to us anymore, you know? Right. I feel like we can say, man, things were more mellow in the 90s. But then again, we didn't have cell phones that were taping police beatings of black. We had one video. We had Rodney King. And like now, look, we have videos every week. And so, of course, the culture is going to change in reaction to that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And people are going to be more outraged and more defiant and more like, I don't want to do this emotional energy to explain myself to you. And that's, that's understandable. So, no, I don't think it's our generation's time to step in and be like, y'all just chill out. Let's figure this out. I don't think that's up to us. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what Ashley thinks because she's a bit younger. Um, I'm not that much younger. You are. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) The idea, go ahead, Robin. I had thought that maybe there's a medium place between cancel culture, sort of, I don't have time to talk to you, and 
having endless patience to explain ourselves and try to sort of present who we are. Is there a place in the in, in between or is it just the time to I mean, let's be honest, it might just be the the day mm-hmm. <laughs> for some people. I mean, that's a good point. Some people have been very problematic for a while and has gotten away with it. I mean, I love Gwen Stefani, but if Gwen Stefani was an artist today versus when she, what she was in the 90s, I mean, she really, I mean, that's my girl. I, I bop to all of her things, but she probably would be canceled in 2020 really quickly. She went, what? she made, yeah. I don't oh, know my, what Gwen Stefani has done. I guess I haven't been following Gwen Stefani closely <laughs> enough. What What are you referring okay. to? <laughs> so at one at at one point she stole from Japanese culture. Then she oh oh yes, from the yes. black community, That's and then right. she was also mm-hmm. a chola. I was like, wait, what? And I it, it took me a while, but we be calling out just simple things in 2020. And I just know if she was an artist today, like that's a good cancel culture that she gets a pass because no one remembers that. Well, yeah, cultural appropriation was more acceptable for pop stars in the past. You know, like Madonna's definitely very guilty of that too. You know, you can list almost every pop star that's dressed up as a different, you know, race than they are and thought that was okay. (laughs) And no, people aren't doing that now. (laughs) I mean, I get it. As an actress, I get it a lot. I remember someone telling me, oh, my agent thinks that I should go out for black roles. And I'm like, but you're not black. In -hmm. fact, this is not a costume. I can't just put this on. And it it took all of me just to be like, today, I just don't feel like explaining. And I think that's when people get frustrated of seeing the same thing that you quickly just canceled somebody because it's just so problematic. But then from a spiritual perspective, I'm thinking, how will people learn if someone doesn't take the time to explain why they're being problematic, even though we have to deal with problematic behavior on a daily well, and then you have to wonder, too, if the problematic people kind of dug their heels in more nowadays. And so trying to explain and, and explain it and unpack it to them, maybe that's more work today than it was back then, too. I don't know. Maybe that's backwards. Maybe back then everyone was way less, way more ignorant. But because some of these movements were were really gaining steam, I mean, I know that everything gained steam before the 90s, but in the 90s, there was this feeling of like openness and different cultures and oh, I want to learn about that. And you know what I mean, Robin? Like it was just, it was a vibe. And I remember there was like, I went to my first women's studies course and that was a big deal. And and then they didn't have any queer studies courses at my college. There was one class that was taught by an RA of a dorm and it was a white gay man who didn't mention bisexuality the whole course. And that was the only course I could take at my college about being queer. And look at it now, you know, it's, it's definitely improved, but you just had to tolerate more back then just to get a little slice of your identity. Like we would watch all those gay lesbian films when we weren't lesbians just to try to get a little bit of relatability because those other, that other content didn't exist. Right. I'm not sure that I felt, I mean, I did feel like I needed to speak up for my own 
experience, but mm -hmm. I also did feel included in those circles. So it wasn't completely alien to me. But then, but then when there was more by activism and more groups, that's when I really felt at home in a, in a deeper way. Right. And you're you more know? likely to go to those than to go to the, the L word night at the bar or whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So what about healing after traumas in our, in our communities, whatever, whatever started, if it, if it was someone trying to steal the flag yeah. or, or anything else in our, in our groups? Have... I mean, I personally feel like you have to separate problematic people from the things that identify them to you and to you in your mind, sort of. So like the problem we have now is because there's a problematic person in our community who's really divisive, who, you know, verbally attacked everyone and, and defamed a lot of people who happen to be black. Now, a lot of people who are in our community have no stomach for hearing, oh, what you said might have been inappropriate and offensive and kind of racist because they felt like this mm -hmm. one particular person screamed that from the rooftops at them for years and, and told everyone around them that they were racist, even, you know, I mean, I don't even want to get into it as a white person. It's not appropriate, but I, I can say that there's a lot of a lot of people who don't know how to talk about their experiences with this person and, and without it coming off as, as not racist. I mean, it's hard to explain because their intent isn't to be racist, but it's definitely when you start saying negative things about a particular person of color over and over again, you know, it's problematic and it hurts people. So I, I don't know how to heal that. I feel like what I'm trying to do with that group now, that by leaders group is get in some professionals to help us learn how to talk about race in a healthier way as in, and in, in a constructive way, in a way where we are, you know, spidey senses don't go up and go, Oh my God, they're going to call me racist. Just like she did for years and years, uh, you know, and not just have that knee correction of, of course, I'm not racist. Of course you're feeling uncomfortable has no merit, you know, and just dismissing that person of color's experience of how the group is making them feel. So we have a ton of work to do <laughs> and I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to fix it. But again, I'm feeling very overwhelmed and I'm losing sleep over it. Yeah. Do mm. you have um, thoughts, Ashley? So many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel for, first of all, I feel for the people that lost someone that honestly was probably a role model to them or even someone that maybe didn't know this particular person and all of a sudden you know there there's pain when you have someone reveal their true colors you know so i feel bad for a lot of the people who are really hurt and traumatized and, and also mourning right now. But from here, I hope there's more conversations like the one that we're having today that are open and honest and that feels like a safe place where people can talk about the issues that are amongst the bi community so that there can be just a bridge of having that conversation be open so that we can, I don't know if there even is a common ground, but to 
just be able to move forward because there is a lot more issues that are very important that, I mean, even I wasn't aware of, especially with the mental health issues in our community, the domestic violence. There's a, there's a lot going on that we could get the word out and focus and bring awareness to. But if we're so focused on, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I need this type of recognition and it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I for a, the last week, I've been trying to wrap my brain around just this person's intentions, honestly. And I don't know what the intentions were, but as far as a community, I hope that we can keep the conversation open so that we can rebuild something great. Yeah, I agree too. I mean, I've been frustrated with what a distraction this has been in the middle of a global pandemic, having to worry about our flag and if we're allowed to use it. It just felt like a massive waste of time. Um, but the, the, yes, the I say yes, we do. we are. <laughs> I mean, people are dying. Like yesterday, I read twenty nine hundred people died in the country in one day from this. Yeah, that's you know, really that's the almost main as much right. as all of nine eleven in one day. You know, and I know, I yeah. guess that. And 9-11 also happened in one day. But still, it's just crazy that that's going on. And then someone has an ego trip and decides to, to do this. I mean, we're trying to provide, Still Bisexuals providing uh, COVID-19 getting by video chats across the country. And we have people from outside of the country that are they're going to participate. We're going to start them next week. Ashley's one of our moderators. I'm moderating. We have a lot of people moderating to just kind of give bi people a chance to connect with other bi people who are like-minded, you know, who belong, who are in the, the same constituency group so they can see other people like them during this time when they're stuck at home. And, you know, like I said, so many of us are closeted. We were thinking of doing this program before COVID happened. And then we're like, wow, what a perfect time that people have a chance to really have a place, safe space to go with their computer where they can sit for an hour and be around other bi people. Because, you know, you guys know it. Sometimes we come out much later than other people. And we haven't had that experience of being in a room of just bi people until we're far older than we should be. Yeah. And, and just how incredible that feels when it does happen. So, yeah, we might put up with a lot of headaches, planning by pride and a lot of ego stuff in our general community. But at the end of the day, when we're at that event, when there's people in that room and you feel that sense of, relatability like this is that one of those rare moments where I'm around people like me wow like how amazing is that and how sad is that that it's so rare for bi people yeah yes. I agree awesome that is a great program too do you have anything else you want to share about still bisexual or anything else that you've got going on we're also we a co uh, a subcontractor for out for mental health Ashley helps me with that too um here in Los Angeles we're, we run the San Fernando Valley Task Force and basically, we're fighting for mental health equity for LGBTQ people. So right now, we've been pushing for a new policy at the uh, Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health to basically have an LGBTQIA2S competency training for all of their clinicians. Because believe it or not, you go to a therapist at the Department of Mental Health, they're still probably not trained in your identity or how to talk to you. And you can encounter cluelessness and people who use, you know, therapists at the Department of Mental Health are the people in our city who are the most impoverished and are the most vulnerable. So that's not really acceptable. And, you know, we've had reports of people who go to the Department of Mental Health have problems with security guards, you know, because of their identity. And then we've had I talked to a 
a gay man who's schizophrenic who said he was told to, you know, he was telling a, a, the therapist he was lonely and, and, the, and the therapist said to go to church, you know, I mean, that's just <laughs> in 2020, that can't be happening, you know, so you know, right now we're also trying to fight for, for SOGI data to be collected uh, regarding COVID. They're not tracking how many LGBTQIA2S people are dying or getting sick from COVID. They're, that's not included in the data they're collecting. And a lot of places, like I heard Long Beach is not collecting because they say federally they're not required to because the Trump administration is saying, oh, we don't need to know how many queer people are getting sick with this or how many trans people are, you know, this, no, we don't need to collect that just like they did with the census, but Mm -hmm. you know, city of LA is collecting. So we're trying to pass a statewide law now in California that will collect that data because that is important to know. And the unique needs that we have during COVID are sort of being lost. Um, There's a huge homeless problem in LA and, and sometimes, you know, uh, if you go to a homeless shelter and say you're a trans you will be turned away for being trans because they'll say, oh, we don't know where to put you. We don't know if we should put you with the men or the women. If we put you in either, people are going to be uncomfortable because of your appearance, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's still happening in Los Angeles. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to be like, hey, you're the city of LA. You have to try to create a safe space for us when we end up using your services. So we're proud to be a part of that and, and working on that. And so we have a town hall coming up for that for people who are in Los Angeles. Um, basically, we just want to hear what your experience is like as an LGBTQIA2S individual. And if you feel like people are, are listening to you and, and what your mental health needs are and where things could be, services could be better for you. So that's coming up on May 28th. And you can Google out for, out for mental health. It's a hashtag. So it's out in the number four and then mental health. And you can look that up. We have them all across the state too. So you can find one that's close to your area if you don't live in Los Angeles. That sounds great. And if you want to share some links with me too, we'll get them up on our website. Sure, yeah. About just, all, this, all the stuff you have going yeah. on, which sounds great. And still bisexual.com. <laughs> that's the easy way to find it. Yeah. Oh, man. So Thank you so much for talking. This has been really good. And I think you're really right. We just need to keep talking to each other. Yeah. 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 And I, I think we'll get through this. This is an odd moment and we'll get through it like we have many other odd moments. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah. Thanks, Thank for, thanks for having us. Hey, this is Robin Renee. Join me tonight, Wednesday, May 13th, for the Hub City Homecoming Live Benefit Concert Series. My acoustic set starts at 7 p.m. at facebook.com slash groups slash iguana music concerts. The series features a different artist each night for the month of May. The music is free to all, and your donation, if you'd like to make one, will benefit Elijah's Promise Soup Kitchen in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I can't wait to share some music with you tonight, May 13th, 7 p.m. at facebook.com slash groups slash Iguana Music Concerts. See you there. This podcast is sponsored by teaching your relatives how to find the gallery view button. It's in the top right corner, and it will only take five minutes to help them find it as everyone else waits. 
on sale now wherever relatives gather on Zoom. And now, back to our podcast. Well, welcome to our Blanket Fort segment. This is the part where we talk about uh, things that heal and comfort us. And maybe they heal and comfort you. Uh, so we're thinking today about the things we've been cooking. Yeah. Um, well, because we're all home all the time now. Yep. And we're getting, you know, this is, this, is, this is out of the, you know, there's a yeast shortage and a flour shortage because everybody's baking now. Uh, I know I I was surprised when I was at Costco in April to, or maybe it was the, even the March trip. I don't know, the beginning of April, I guess, when you couldn't find flour in the grocery stores for love or money, and they had or yeast. Well, yeast, forget it. I don't even think they sell yeast at Costco, but uh, they had Whole um, Foods. That's where I found it. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, they had these, I, I would think they, they used to, you know, when you buy in bulk there, I was expecting like a 50 pound bag of flour, which I would never get because I don't know where to put that. Uh, but they had two 10 pound bags wrapped up in a, in a, in a set. So I said, um, oh, I could do 20 pounds of flour. You know, usually we buy it in five pound bags and that lasts like six months. And now we have all this flour and, and it's like, and I was worried. I mean, the reason I got all that stuff is because I, you know, you couldn't find bread. It was like, you know, it was like people were buying as if it was a um, a snowstorm or a hurricane or something. It was the French toast ingredients that you can't <laughs> find. <This> is, <laughs> that, that's the big joke with the hurricanes. It's like, or snow. It's like, oh no, it's going to get, it's a blizzard. Go, we have to get the French toast because <laughs> we have to be able to make French toast. That's like eggs and milk and bread. Um because that stuff always goes away at the beginning of everything. So, so when we found the flour, because I figured we weren't going to be, we were going to have to bake our own bread, uh, which we actually haven't been had to do yet. So I have all this flour now, and, and I have, and I made a sourdough starter, and all this other crazy stuff. But I, I'm, uh, I've been mostly, we've been mostly making desserts, because, you know. We that's it, comfort food. Yeah, it's comfort food. Rich makes cookies. I make pastries. I kind of go insane with pastries. They look gorgeous. Well, I they, see them on Facebook, and I'm like, taste wow, gorgeous. And well, Mary's had one of my raspberry turnovers. Oh yeah, they were pretty good. We just made a set. Of, we made a batch of that yesterday. Mm. And I had some. I made half with raspberry and half with cherry pie filling, and. Is it like your squirrel cookie? No, there is no that's flavor. A, that's a different thing. That's a different thing entirely. This is this is a it's the dough is layer. It's got like fifteen layers in it. Like so phyllo dough, flaky. No, I oh, make okay. it. I make it from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a King Arthur flour recipe, and uh, and I put cherry because rich wanted cherry and i put cherry in them and that those ones i made into rectangles instead of triangles so you could tell them apart before you eat them and he's eating one and he's going you know wow this is as good as the mcdonald's pies i'm going what oh <laughs> man <laughs> that's Gee, such a 
<laughs> I know. I go through all this work. It's like, oh, it's the McDonald's pies. <laughs> hmm. Well, I don't have a working oven, so I can't bake. But uh, but I'm cooking a lot of um, for for my birthday last week. My sister sent me a basket of vegetables. Uh, I think that's an unusual present for a birthday, but I actually liked it a lot. So I've been cooking a lot of things with vegetables. And last night I made stew. And it turned out really good. The, uh, the other thing that's going on with me, too, is that my husband left all these things. He was a great cook. And he left all these things squirreled away in the house, in the freezer, whatever. That, and he didn't label them, so I don't know what they are. <laughs> pieces of fat or pieces of meat of some sort. I found a piece of meat. I couldn't really tell what it was, but I thought, well, that'll go in the stew. And I, I, I cut a piece off and cooked it by itself to taste it, to make sure it was good. And it turned out to be a really good cut of steak. Oh. And so, so my stew is extra tasty with steak in it. Wow. Well, you have an Instapot, right? Yes. Um, I've been um, uh, obsessed with my Instapot since I got it. And and now on Facebook, a friend of mine who is a caterer started a little group because he saw me posting pictures. I was posting pictures on Facebook mainly to reassure my family that I am eating because <laughs> right, well, right after I was sick, I, I stopped eating and I lost about 50 pounds. But um, so I'm eating now and I'm gaining most of that weight back. But um, th this friend of mine who is a caterer, he started a little group on Facebook saying, post pictures of what you're, you're cooking. And so I thought, oh, okay. And so many people have joined this group. It's really getting to be a thing. Hmm. And I've been cooking things and posting them on there. Too. that's cool is it is it all instapot people no or? oh and the the guy that this is what i wanted to say the guy who started the group he just got one of those air fryers oh. those ninja foodie air fryers now he's obsessed with that and now <laughs> see what what you can put in an air fryer is amazing so if I had the money, I'd get one, but they're kind of expensive. Yeah, I see. I see. I get. I get the emails from Costco? William Sonoma. Well, I get those too. But William Sonoma, they're pushing their Instapots, and I was scrolling through because I see your pictures, and I'm going, well, maybe I because we have like one of these rice cookers that's not exactly an Instapot. Mm -hmm. It's similar, but it's. I don't think it's. It's designed to do pressure. Yeah, well, I, I think they're all kind of pressure cookers in, in some way or another. Um, but we never made anything other than rice inside of it. Um, but I'm looking at them, and they had an air fryer attachment for an Instapot. Yeah, I've seen so, that. Yeah. Uh, thinking about getting that, except that the Instant Pot that I have is actually a small one. It's only three and a half quarts mm -hmm. or three quarts. Or something. You're just cooking for you. Yeah, because I'm just cooking for me. So that, that's the other thing that kind of drives me crazy is all the recipes that people have are for groups. And, oh, yeah. But but so that that attachment that would be the air fryer, that's for a six quart. Oh. And usually okay. most people have six quart. Yeah, I think my rice cooker is a six 
because when we make rice for just us, it's like an eighth of an inch layer of rice when it's done. And oh it, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. big. <laughs> it feels ridiculous that we this giant pot and we, you know, but it cooks the rice perfectly. When I used to have to cook it like on the stove, like a like you know in the in the like yeah. a like, old lady. Um, mm-hmm. I, there, the odds of me burning some of it, it was non-zero, and I haven't burned rice since we bought this thing. So, you know, it was really good for that. So, Robin, what are you cooking? <laughs> well, I have not yet joined the cult of Instant Pot, although I, I, I would like to. <laughs> that sounds really uh, delicious. My cousin was talking about that. It just has so much versatility. Um, but what have I been doing? I have made some bread. I have a bread maker and um, I did just a basic wheat bread and I think I might do some Kalamata olive bread. And mm-hmm. I was looking for a recipe for that because like the, the book I have is not, you know, it has some things but doesn't tell you how to do certain things. So that's not in there, but I think I can adjust, you know, guesstimate how to do it. Yeah, well, internet, internet has recipes. Yes, I was, that's <laughs> where I found one. So I'm gonna do find one. Do you have to have special for recipes for the bread maker? Um, there's a certain order that everything goes in to it with. There's like a, you know, the amount of something you're adding would differ depending on what you're adding, that kind of stuff. So I'm not real familiar with all the ratios yet. Um, so because I so, do have a bread maker, so yeah, I oh yeah, you should it. go for it. Yeah, it's 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 good and it's easy and it's delicious. Like I, I definitely enjoy bread. I don't like to overdo it. I have been doing more pasta than I probably want to right now, but it's, it's comfort food and it's good sometimes, you know, so I'm not really worried about it, but um, I'm enjoying like making bread that I really enjoy rather than just buying random loaves of whatever, you know? (laughs) So, so that's been a good thing. And yesterday I made my Royal Scam Burgers, which Mm. is a recipe that I made up. (laughs) I remember those. And it's, what's that? With lentils, right? Uh, no, it's chickpeas or, and black beans. Oh, chickpeas, black beans. And uh, portobello mushroom and red roasted red pepper, but it's held together by oats. And mm. I sort of do it like patties and you can have it with veggies or whatever else you want to do. Make it, I've never made it into a sandwich because I feel like the oats are enough. I don't need bread when, with that <laughs> as well. You know, although you could do it like a veggie burger kind of thing. Mm. But um, it's a recipe that I made that somewhere... It got published in a Steely Dan influenced uh, cookbook, which I, I have to track down where that is because it was it was interesting. <laughs> it was fun um, to contribute. Did they credit that. you? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have the song playing when you're making them. Oh yeah. I don't, but it plays in my head anyway. Steely oh, okay. Dan is likely to be playing in my head wherever whatever I'm doing. <laughs> so so there's that. And the other thing is that, you know, I really have been missing uh, fresh greens. I mean, I I do, I try to go get like some kale or something like once, I haven't been going to the store once a week. That's why like I run out and then I just don't have it for a while. So I have like frozen things that I try to just create. I sort of get like all the staples that I like and then I mix and match them and just sort of make one skillet dishes of various things. Um, but I do, when I, when I get them, I'll, I will get some fresh greens and I'll do like a, uh, massaged kale salad, which <laughs> I made the other day, which your hands have to be super clean anyway for that. 
So especially now, it's like super, super, super. Oil into the kale, is that how? Yeah, you put a little bit of salt and oil and and massage it so it sort of starts to break it down just a little bit. And then I add things like avocado or uh, I like to put something crunchy in it, like some small like carrot bits, um, onion, radish if I have it. Just, you know, I put Mm -hmm. in a few things. Oh, um, sunflower seeds or some type of you know, seed thing. Uh, and I just add a few extra things to it and it's really delicious and easy. Um, soy sauce or Bragg's aminos, I'd like to add to that mm, as part of good. the sauce. Yeah, so... My sister-in-law turned me on to kale chips, which... Kale chips are fun to do. Because those are... You feel like a lot of work. Oil into the kale and then you bake it, you salt it and bake it. And yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but... It's way, I eat them really fast too. It's that's way more healthy than potato chips, and they're just uh, they they. It's as addictive. <laughs> the same, the same, you know, desire of a salty, crunchy thing mm-hmm. to put in your mouth, and it's way healthier than a potato chip. Yeah, I haven't done them where it was really hard to do. I I didn't I didn't haven't done that as a massage thing, but I've just sort of oh, tossed it with yeah, so a oil. Not, you're not massaging it; you just sort of toss it in with the oil. But, yeah. yeah, and you can put any sort of flavoring, like garlic is good, garlic powder, or like mm. a Cajun spice. Ooh, yeah. Kind of thing. That's the other thing. I I, I am going to put plug uh, an unsolicited um, <laughs> plug for Penzi's spices because uh, they're also. They do a lot of social activism emails and, and they have, I, I think they actually, do, you know, like they'll, they'll, if they're really pissed off at the president, they're going to have a sale on a particular spice and and some of the proceeds go to, to help fight something. I, I forget exactly. I had no idea. That's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. they're I love them. Um, and <laughs> they, you know, we've, we started getting like their couple of different blends and like their Fox point blend it's like it, it elevates the flavors of whatever you throw it on it can go and, and it's really good on salads it's good on on meat it's good on everything and veg cooked vegetables raw vegetables um oh you know and they th- wait 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 wait. they uh, threw in they threw in um as a freebie a little tiny bottle of what they call pie spice and that's what we used instead of the cinnamon and nutmeg in this apple pie recipe because it's got that in it, but it also has other things. It's got like cloves and weird. I I don't even know. Maybe Um, there's a whole list of little things, but it turned the apple pie we made two weeks ago into something incredible. And I'm not an apple pie or I haven't been an apple pie fan until last week when Mm. I made this apple pie and it was really, really, really good. (laughs) Uh, what I was going to mention, though, since you were talking about spices, is that my my friend, who's the caterer, and with who got the air fryer, mm-hmm. um, he's been making everything with something he calls um, everything bagel, but the bagel <laughs> spice. Okay. They, oh, okay. they sell that now in a jar, and I'm seeing that pop up all over the place. Uh, that people are putting it on their eggs and sesame and, seeds and sunflower seeds and garlic and onion, like uh, all the yeah, garlic, yeah. onion, poppy oh. seed. I'm trying poppy to think seeds. what goes on a everything bagel. Sesame seed, uh, uh, onion, little bits of onion. Yeah, nice. That sounds yeah, good. garlic. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. 
I got it at the Aldi for fairly cheap, and it's pretty good. Cool. Very nice. But yeah, Penzi's, I, Penzi's has spoiled me because I've gotten, uh, you know, the fancy Mexican vanilla and, and this, um, so this, I got this as a gift for, for, for my husband last year. It's like this baker's thing with three different kinds of cinnamon and then a, another baking spice. And there's a difference between Chinese cinnamon and salon cinnamon. And who the hell knew that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. And, it, and yeah, it's like, like there's a difference between paprika and paprika. Like the expensive vanilla. And it, 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 I didn't realize that, you know, getting really good ingredients makes your food taste so much better. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's kind of a, a privilege -y kind of thing to say, but damn, <laughs> it really makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think you can uh, choose, like sometimes I'll choose the lesser of something and, and make it simple. But if you can splurge on something, why, you know, I think that's why yeah. not. And yeah. uh, I think sometimes we, it's okay to feel good and feel <laughs> satisfied. With, yeah. Know, well, I mean, it's, I mean, I shouldn't, you know, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be what's it's like that lady on the British baking show, you know, I want it to be worth the calories. Mm. You know, if I'm going to, you know, that, that, that the eating experience has to be worth the calories that I'm ingesting because, you know, that's an hour on the treadmill that I'm not doing that I'm not doing because I have no treadmill and I'm not going to the gym. So it's just sitting here on my body now. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's part of why I've been enjoying making bread because it's, it's like having the the food I really want to have and not just grab whatever's on the shelf, yeah. you know, yeah, which is good. And, um, and I'm appreciating slow food actually, which I used to, always be running and I'm just like busy and I'm like all of a sudden I'm like oh my god I'm starving and I would just like grab whatever or be out somewhere and get something you know and it's it's kind of been instructive to just take a step back and be like what would I really enjoy and I could actually think about it more than 15 minutes before I'm eating it <laughs> and, make, <laughs> and create something you know it's been hard for me just because I have associated a lot of sadness and loneliness with cooking for myself, um, which, you know, uh, so it's been hard. So I've been, I've have avoided it in, in some cases in recent years, but, um, I'm rediscovering it and it feels really good again. So I'm well, happy. I'm glad. For I mean, you know, when you would back in the before times when we would get together, you know, that, that vegetable soup you brought over, I mean, it's like, if you make something that my husband likes, you know, you've hit a home run. <laughs> pickiest freaking eater ever. Um, I think he wants the recipe for that. I have to remember what I did. I think it was a basic, just a basic vegetable Maybe, soup. But it, it was, but it was, had it, it had, was, it was spicy. It had yeah. some heat to it that I think he really liked. Cool. And, you know, I enjoyed that very much as well. Good, so, yeah, I thought I bought a bunch of beans thinking I was going to make soup and it's just getting a little too warm for it. So I'm going to do some other things instead. It's not quite warm if you get on it now. Yeah, actually, this could be the last uh, last hurrah for soup for this. Season. <laughs> so uh, tell us in on Facebook or on our website what you guys are cooking for your 
selves and makes you happy to eat because we'd be interested. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake advertising written and recorded by Thomas Mincelli. Hosted by InMotion. Remote recording on Squadcast FM. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next show.